Giving gifts is weird, and getting gifts can be weirder. I think sometimes we don't always get the gifts that we wanted, or it's not quite what we expected. Marriage has honestly taught me how to be a much better gift giver than I was growing up. I'm going to give a little bit of a spoiler alert here. If you still believe Santa Claus comes and gives you things, you might want to cover your ears. If you're watching online, you might want to mute it for a little bit, because I'm about to spoil a little surprise of Christmas. As I was growing up, we had our stockings, thinking, okay, Dan, nobody tell Dan what's about to happen. The stockings on our mantle just magically filled up with gifts, like Santa really came, right? And once I got married, I suddenly realized that somebody else's stocking in this house was my responsibility, And there was a Christmas where Courtney woke up to a pretty lean stocking because I realized very late that that was my job now. I've done much better. I've learned and grown, and her stocking is going to be way fuller uh, this Christmas than it has been in Christmases past. Sometimes, though, we get really good gifts. And I think sometimes the really great gifts come from unexpected places. The gifts that really bring you joy on Christmas are the, like, the true surprises. You didn't expect it. You didn't expect that person to give you such a thoughtful and an awesome gift. Last year, our youngest daughter, Hannah, completely nailed it for me. And I don't really think she knew what she got, why she got it, but she got me one of the best gifts that you could ever get me. And it's this little guy right here. This is a wine aerator. You pour wine up here, it bubbles and gurgles a little bit and comes down and fills your glass with freshly aerated wine. And this one's even cooler because it lights up. So you pour in it, little lights flash. Santa had, or Hannah had the opportunity to help out at Santa's shop last year, and at the end, if some of the kids who were still around who weren't part of those who were coming to shop had an opportunity to go in and to buy other gifts for their families, and so Hannah got to go in. And I was like, okay, it's the end of Santa's shop. There's probably not a whole lot left. I'm going to have to do that classic parent like, wow, honey, that's great. Thank you so much. Wow. And when I opened it on Christmas morning, I was totally surprised and filled with joy, like, this is something I actually want. This is something I use. This is something I need. This is great. Thank you, honey. And she's like, I don't even know what it was, but yay. (laughs) I was surprised. I was joyful. I didn't have to fake that parent surprise. I could really be thankful and happy that she gave me this gift. Those are the gifts that truly bring us joy. And today I think we get to see that a little bit in the story of the wise men. There are gifts we can receive from this story today that come from unexpected places and people, but that ultimately serve to point us to Jesus, to who he is and how others can be drawn to him. 
The basic point today is this, that we should joyfully celebrate the advent of Jesus and welcome all who are drawn to Jesus to offer their gifts. So let's read this scripture today. It's from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, very famous part of the Christmas story, the arrival of the wise men. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it was in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, Where is the Christ to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's talk a little bit about what makes the wise men unique. Why are they mentioned in this story and why do they show up? I think it's interesting to note that of all the characters in the nativity, if you walk over towards the fellowship hall over there, we had our nativity set up. Of all the characters around the manger, the wise men are the only ones who we are not told hear directly from God or an angel. They just see a star. And they respond to that. Why do they respond to the star? Well, the wise men are these outsiders. They aren't in Jerusalem. They come from the east. More than likely, they come from the Parthian Empire. They more than likely worshipped in a religion called Zoroastrianism. And they were astrologers. They believed that the movements of the stars and the planets and the heavens echoed things that happened on earth. In the ancient world, this was one of like the top-tier sciences was astrology. And you can understand why, because if you can use what happens in the sky to predict what might happen on earth, that's pretty powerful stuff. And if you know how to do that, you can be one of the biggest, most powerful, wisest men in the planet. They believed that those events in the sky echoed on earth, and so when they saw the star, they followed it because they believed that it was leading to something great, leads them to Herod to ask, where is this one born king of the Jews? Astrology is interesting in Scripture because if you read through Scripture, it doesn't have very nice things to say about astrologers and people who follow the movements of the stars and the planets to determine how their life is going to come out. The prophet Isaiah will write in chapter 47 of his book, All the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month 
Let them save you from what is coming upon you. The suggestion to God for salvation, but they're turning to these astrologers. And so God says, you just trust them. Let them save you from whatever is about to happen. You think they know what's going on. Their study, their knowledge came from a practice that the Bible does not encourage, does not see in a positive way. But if you look back in Scripture, there are hints. There are clues that these wise men coming from the East, from a foreign country, from a religion that is considered idol worship, from a land where the Israelites were once put into exile, that there's hints that these, the arrival of these wise men is a positive thing. I love following the directions of Scripture, north, south, east, west, up, down, because they carry meaning. In the Bible, if you read of anybody going east, if they're going to the east, that's usually a bad thing. Adam and Eve, when they are cursed out of the Garden of Eden, they are driven east. Cain, after he kills his brother Abel, is said to go live in the land of Nod, which is to the east. The Israelites, when they are sent into exile into Assyria and Babylon, it's to the east. But when you come the other direction, if you're coming from the east, if you are going west, like Michael W. Smith told us, that is a good thing. Please play my video, Dave. Go west, young man, when the evil go east, go west. I had a Michael W. Smith tape, and I wore that out. It broke on the way to camp one year. I was very devastated. When you are coming from the east, when you are going west in the Bible, that usually means you are drawing closer to God. You are following the path that God has put before you. Abraham travels east from his country of Haran into Canaan. He goes West, the people enter Israel into the promised land by crossing the Jordan. They are moving from east to west and coming out of exile in Assyria and Babylon in the east. When they move back into the promised land, they are going west. The prophet Isaiah, even too, later in his book in chapter 60, will write this. It says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah 
All from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. I encourage you in the little handout of questions in there to go back and actually read the interaction that Solomon has with the queen of Sheba and to see the similarities that are in there. Even though these wise men are from a foreign country, they worship a different God. They follow this science God doesn't want people to follow. There are hints in Scripture that their arrival is pointing to something good, something greater, something that God wants all people to be drawn to. And we have a choice in how to respond to these arrival of the wise men, and we have a choice to respond to what they're looking for. And we get two examples of this in the story. The first response, of course, we get comes from King Herod. A little bit of a confession from me. I've spent a lot of time and money to go to seminary, to study and learn what's in this book, so I can share with you what I think it says and do some work and hopefully encourage you. And when I was looking for a job as a pastor, there were other churches in town that would hire pastors from a different denomination who didn't have to go to seminary, who didn't have to do the work that I did, who didn't have to pay the money that I did. And honestly, I was a little jealous. I thought, how could they be a pastor? They haven't done the training. They haven't put in the time. They don't know the stuff that I know. I thought, that's not going to work. They're going to fail. They didn't. Most of them are pretty good pastors. But it was my own jealousy because I thought I had done more, that I deserved the same. That I deserved more. I think that's kind of Herod's response in this story. Herod is a politically savvy ruler of the ancient world. He's done a lot of work to get where he is as king of the Jews. He made allegiances and agreements with Rome to secure his power. Caesar Augustus would say of Herod, it is better to be Herod's pig than his son. It's an interesting quote. Why would it have been better to be Herod's pig than his son? Well, one of the ways that Herod secured his power was he had three of his own sons executed so that he could stay in power. He felt like they were questioning him. Not only three sons, he had one of his wives and that wife's mother killed because they did not support him like he thought they should. Herod knows what it takes to stay in power in the world. You align yourself with the powers that can give you status and authority, And you remove any threats, real or otherwise, to your place. The arrival of the wise men then disturbs Herod because they come looking for a king of the Jews. And he's not like, hello, the king of the Jews is standing right in front of you. They're looking for somebody else. In response, he acts out in fear and insecurity and selfishness. He is aware of the prophecies of the Messiah Because he tells the chief priest, he asks him the question, where is the Messiah to be born? He knows that there is this Messiah coming. 
And he attempts then to use the wise men for his own selfish motives. He calls them in secret, asking them to direct him to where the Messiah is. Herod seems to be really good at letting other people do the work for him. But Herod knows, or he could easily find out all he needs to know about the Messiah, who to look for. Yet he refuses to see the signs and follow them. He refuses to look for the power that is outside of himself. He's focused on his own status, his own power, his own rule and authority. Any other potential king is a threat to him. Or worse, a threat to those who give him his power. The challenge in Herod is that Herod is in each and every one of us. Sometimes it is those who are the closest to this story who can miss it. Who can miss the signs. We can act just like Herod saying, we want to worship him, yet we really just want to put ourselves on a higher pedestal. We want to ensure and protect our own safety, security, privileges, and predictability in our lives. We don't want to give up whatever status we think we have, real or imagined, in order to answer the call to come and worship him who was born king of the Jews. We can say we want to worship him, but in reality, we're just focusing on our own wants and desires. There is no joy in Herod's response. There's anger. There's fear. Nobody is going to come to Jesus through anger or fear. Nobody's attracted to that. One of the early church fathers noted, Augustine of Hippo, he says, the inquirers heard and departed. The teachers spoke and remained still. Those who came asking questions and wanting to know more the wise men left and responded to the call. Those who had it in their hands did nothing. We can respond like Herod. We can respond like the teachers of the law and those in Jerusalem. Or we can respond like the wise men. Those who were not expected to respond favorably to the arrival of somebody like Jesus. There have been a few moments in my own life that have brought out an extremely joyful response. I'm not somebody who overflows with emotions, if you know me very well. But one time, when I was a little kid, and you used to have to watch cartoons after school on TV, they weren't on like Nickelodeon or Disney Channel all the time, there was the local channel Fox 40, and they had this thing called the Fox Kids Club. And they would show cartoons, and they had a host. And on Fridays, they would always invite a kid from the community to come in and be a co-host. And I wrote a letter. I said, I would love to be a co-host. And I got a letter in response that says, great, come on down. Be a co-host. Be on TV. I ran around the house. I was screaming. I was so excited to be on TV. It was my 15 minutes of fame, and it probably lasted about five um, but it was so much fun. I was so happy to have that opportunity. When it comes to responding to Jesus, to following Jesus, then we need to respond with that level of joy. We need to respond like the wise man, where the verse says they were overjoyed. Honestly, one word, overjoyed, does not do 
injustice. That one word overjoyed is trying to take the place of four Greek words trying to describe the levels of joy that the wise men had. Honestly, if you go back to your King James Bibles, they do a much better job. It says, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. It sounds repetitive, but that's exactly what Matthew is trying to tell us, that they were overflowing with joy. They were responding with exceedingly great joy. One of the commentators says, you could also translate it by saying they were thrilled to bits. They were so overjoyed in what they saw and what they've come upon that they couldn't contain themselves. And they brought gifts. They brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are no simple gifts. These aren't the handmade gifts that your child makes at school, stuffs in their pocket and brings home, and you have to say, wow, honey, that's great. No, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, these are gifts of abundance. These are exceeding gifts. These are gifts that were meant for kings or dignitaries. You'll note that the gifts weren't given to Herod. They are presented to the baby Jesus. The wise men, these outsiders, astrologers, and idol worshipers demonstrate true joy and true worship of Jesus who is king of our lives and king of the world. No angel led them to Jesus. They used what they knew to arrive there. Anyone who walks through these doors, anyone who's going to come in contact with us and is going to come into worship should know and feel from our lives that following Jesus is one of the most joyful choices we have ever made. We can learn that from the response of the wise men here. That overflowing joy, that abundant joy. The true king has been revealed in this story through the most unlikely of peoples. What's interesting is just outside these doors, our neighbors here in Nevada County believe the same things that these wise men believed. There's people out here who believe in astrology. And they might be attracted to come here because they've heard about Jesus, especially during this Christmas season. They might see the lights in our windows and wonder, what's going on there? Maybe I will actually go and check out this Jesus who I've heard something about. We will have unique opportunities, especially in this season, to interact with others who may not share the same beliefs we do. But when they walk in and when they come in contact with us, they should see the joy that God has given us. If you walk down by my office, I have taped to my door three questions which are going to be my challenge for you today, and they are this. Who outside of the church and our faith have you prayed for this week? Who outside of the church and our faith have you cared for this week? And what has God taught you recently? Especially this week leading up to Christmas and Christmas Eve and the opportunities we have to invite people to come and see, to come follow the star, to hear the story. We should be focusing on those who are outside of our faith group because they're the ones that need to hear the story. They're the ones that we need to encourage and invite. 
And when they walk through the door, drawn by something familiar to them or drawn by an invitation, they're going to look different. They're going to talk different. They're going to probably believe something a little bit different than we do, but that should not change how we welcome them and the joy that is on our face when we see them come in, just like the Magi coming to Jesus and being overwhelmed and overflowing with joy. Commentator I read to conclude said this, Matthew's kindness towards the Magi can teach the church today that while rightly critical of New Age thinking, she should have a heart for New Age people. And connected to that, of course, is the point I'm hoping you walk home with today, which again is this. We should joyfully celebrate the advent of Jesus and welcome all who are drawn to Jesus to offer their gifts. You pray with me. God, you are the radiant morning star. You are the star that the wise men followed. You are both a guide for us and a mystery. We pray that you would visit us in our moments of rest with disturbing dreams, that you would move us on our journeys and give us strange companions. We pray that you would grace us with the hospitality to open our hearts and our homes to visitors filled with unfamiliar wisdom yet those who are bearing profound and unusual gifts, that we would be open to hearing and receiving and greet them with a joyful smile on our face. I ask this all in your name. Amen. He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending weight of his wind and mercy when all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me and oh how he loves us all
Oh.